For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here as we begin to end yet another week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. On social media, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore, and on Twitter and True Social at Monica Crowley. I post these shows and links to the show on all of my social media accounts, so make sure you are following me there. Also by email, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. All right, uh, coming up up next week. We're going to have a really fun show on Tuesday. I guarantee you, you're going to love this. Uh, And we're working on some big guests as well. So stay tuned. Between now and the end of the year, we're going to have a really, really good time. I promise you that. We're in the midst of confirming some guests and firming things up. So you're not going to want to miss a second of this. Make sure you tell all of your friends, family, colleagues to listen to the Monica Crowley podcast. Later today, we're going to be joined by Florida's Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Latipo. He was here last year talking about COVID. He's one of the few doctors who is willing to follow the actual science and tell us the truth. He's a public health official we can actually trust. He's going to be here to talk to us about this latest virus coming out of China. Also, the flu season, what we can expect, what we should be doing. And he's got a book called Transcend Fear, which is the real reason I wanted to have him on the show, because he's talking about how we combat government-driven fear tactics, whether it's with regard to COVID and public health or any other reason This is really one of the most important conversations that we can have because God knows what the left and the deep state and the propaganda press have prepared for us for next year. But you know it is going to be bad. If you think about 2020 and how bad that was from the virus to Antifa to the rigged election, you know that we are heading into a crap storm. So in order to be prepared for how the government leverages fear and how to navigate that and immunize yourself to that fear. Dr. Latipo is going to be here to talk to us about that. So sit tight. So he is coming up moments away. Also, I want to deal with Congresswoman Elise Stefanik of New York is a complete badass. She had in front of her three Ivy League university presidents, all radical left women, by the way, Harvard, Penn, and MIT. And Elise Stefanik was pure fire with these university presidents over the issue of the raging anti-Semitism going on on their campuses and the fact that they have not lifted a finger to combat it. She was absolutely awesome. We're going to deal with that coming up later in the show as well. But first, the Monica Memo. With friends like these, 
Republicans bounced Congressman George Santos, Republican of New York. New York. You know how hard it was to get Santos' seat on Long Island? So hard. That was Congressman Lee Zeldin, who was running for governor at the time. His coattails, because he only came within five points of winning the governorship in the state of New York, because even New Yorkers are just out of their minds with high taxes, suffocating regulations, out-of-control crime, out-of-control homelessness, out-of-control illegal immigrants— coming in courtesy of the Biden southern border, even New Yorkers began to hit a wall. It's just these radical voters in the city of New York that tipped it to Kathy Hochul, who's an absolute nightmare. But Lee Zeldin came close and his coattails delivered, I think, four additional Republican seats from the state of New York that actually gave the Republicans the House majority. It was Lee Zeldin. And one of those seats was George Santos on Long Island. An incredible achievement. And yet Republicans led the charge to bounce him because they didn't like him and he had some lies. Show me a politician who hasn't lied. So Republicans bounced Santos. Former Speaker Kevin McCarthy is leaving this month. And Congressman Bill Johnson is retiring also at the end of this month. Keep in mind that McCarthy and Johnson, and by the way, Santos, if his own party didn't bounce him, all of these people could have chosen to stay in Congress one more year, but they chose not to. They're all going to leave before their term is up. Not Santos's choice, okay, but the Republicans' choice. They will leave before their term is up. This will leave the Republicans with a one-seat majority. Democrats would never do their voters like this. They would never, ever play their voters dirty like this. These people don't give a crap about us or the country. In fact, they revel in sticking it to us and to the country. They are disgusting, the lot of them. I don't mean everybody. I mean, thank God for Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene. There, there are so many others who are fighters, but the vast majority of them are disgusting. You know what this looks like to me? It looks like the deep state is paying off or threatening Republican members of Congress so that they no longer have the majority. And it could very well be that McCarthy is in on it. I don't know. But all of this is very sus. The GOP has a small, tiny majority, and suddenly it's down to one seat. All it would take is for one member to get really sick or, God forbid, pass away, and that's it. GOP majority gone. Poof. Done. The Democrats would never, ever allow this to happen to their side, ever. When Republicans get power, they whittle it away. When Democrats get power, they wield it, man. They wield raw power. The Democrats in control of the executive branch are actually jailing their political opponents, seeking the imprisonment of their top political adversary, Donald Trump. They wield raw power and they do not care. The GOP can't even tie its shoelaces. This is why the old saying is so accurate. 
The Republicans are the stupid party, and the Democrats are the evil party. A truer thing was never said. And here's the thing. This is the dirty little secret, guys. Many Republicans don't even want to be in the majority. They can't stand being in control because they're not entirely comfortable wielding power. This is what made Donald Trump so great and also a big threat to them. Donald Trump is not uneasy about wielding power. He just did it, you know, like Democrats do. They all hate that. They hate that Trump is comfortable wielding power. That's only supposed to be for them, the regime, the ruling class. And they hate it more that he wields power, not for himself, for us, for the country, for America first, for good. Oh, they really hate that. And they can't have that. So they must try to destroy him. That's one dirty little secret. The other dirty little secret is that Republicans make a ton of money when they're in the minority. They whip up the base, promise all kinds of sweet nothings, and then do nothing or very little when they're in there. Case in point, this whole last year, they've been in power for one year. What have they done? Set up a couple of committees, had a couple of good hearings, I mean, come on. They prefer to be in the minority so that they can raise money and make money. That's it. They do not care. Again, not every Republican. We do have some genuinely good ones in there, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul. But most of them are just in it for power and dough. They're more than happy to help the Democrats destroy the country as long as they get theirs. And this is how we got to this point. This is also what makes Donald Trump and the rest of the America Firsters such a dangerous threat to them because he and us are threatening their entire corrupt gravy train. We talk a lot about Joe Biden on the show and the depth of his corruption, the depth of the deep state corruption in this country. But you know what? It extends in every direction. It's a deep and wide state. That includes a lot of Republicans. The only heavyweight exception to this rule is President Trump. He is in this only for America, only for us, not for himself, not for the regime. He already has plenty of money. He has plenty of power. And he did before politics. The only reason he did any of this is for us. To literally make America great again. That's it. He has a true servant's heart. Unlike the bogus fake public servants who BS you to your face while stabbing you in the back. No, Trump is the one. Trump did a town hall with Sean Hannity this week, and Trump was absolutely excellent. Just excellent. Now, he's great on the campaign trail with rallies, but in this sort of one-on-one with a live audience, he really excels. He was focused, on point, delivered powerful policy messages in a calm, even tone. He was also very funny. 
At one point, he was asked uh, about Biden's physical capabilities, and he said that if he blew a gentle puff of air at Biden, he'd probably fall over. And he literally went like this. (laughs) Trump is a natural comic. Okay, he's got brilliant comedic timing naturally. But he also spoke about bringing the economy back, closing the border, getting us back to energy independence, all the stuff that he did once that he is going to do again. And he said that he would do that stuff on day one. Now, the left has been resetting their narrative that Donald Trump will be a, quote, dictator. They are masters of projection, always accusing Trump and the rest of us of what they themselves are guilty This is classic projection. They accuse someone, namely Trump, but the rest of us too, of exactly what they are doing. Projection is all they do, and they do it really well because they have control over the press to amplify their projection and their lies. And all of this is done as a way to deflect and throw people off of what they themselves are doing. They're all for a dictatorship as long as it's their dictatorship, which they are currently running out of Washington, D.C. So now the marching orders have gone out, accuse Trump of being a wannabe dictator, try to scare the crap out of the voters about Trump. So they have nothing to run on. They are dispensing with Bidenomics. Everybody has been told, do not talk Bidenomics. That's over. People aren't buying it. Their personal financial and economic situation sucks. So they're not believing the whole Bidenomics thing. They can't run on peace and prosperity because they have delivered neither. So the only thing that they have is to try to scare the crap out of everybody by saying that Donald Trump is going to be a dictator. The word has gone out and they've all picked up the banner. MSNBC, uh, Joe and Mika, they're all talking about dictatorship CNN. They're all running with it. Mrs. Clinton is running around saying, oh my gosh, he'd never leave office. Liz Cheney, another weaponized so-called Republican who is not, she is a deep state menace. Liz Cheney running around saying we're, quote, sleepwalking to dictatorship. One thing that the left does really well is get everybody singing from the same songbook. So now they're singing, Trump is going to be a dictator. Again, leveraging fear, we're going to talk to Dr. Joseph Ladapo, who is uh, Florida's attorney general, who's written a whole book about this, transcending fear. But fear is government's most effective tactic. They used it during COVID. They used it during Black Lives Matter. If They leveraged fear like crazy. And now they're going to try to leverage fear to make you afraid of Trump. They do not care. This is really dangerous rhetoric, guys, but they absolutely do not care. Revolutionaries are deliberately careless with their language because they want to stoke violent mayhem. Kennedy asked Trump about this point blank. He asked him if he were going to be a dictator. And here is Trump's response. I love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, no, no. Other than day one. 
Okay, so Trump says only on day one, which kind of disarmed the whole whole thing. By the way, he initially started to say what I just said. You know, Trump was saying, look, they're accusing me and our side of exactly what they're doing. They are the dictators. And they're trying to, to call me that. It's a complete inversion of the language and the facts and the truth. But again, the left doesn't care because there are no consequences for their lies and their dangerous rhetoric. So he put the projection back on them. And then he joked, well, only on day one, which was a completely disarming, funny thing. And what he meant was that on his first day, he's going to issue executive orders to close the border and begin drilling again to get the economy booming again. He clearly said that the dictator thing was, it was all in humor. But the left, which has no sense of humor, blasted him and ran with it saying, see, we told you, he's admitting it, he's going to be a dictator. They are a bunch of lying lunatics, but you have to understand, and I know my friend Steve Bannon is ripping into Sean for even asking because he's saying, well, now you've given them clips that they can make political ads with that saying, oh, look, see, Trump is admitting he's going to be a dictator. I know what Sean was trying to do. Sean was trying to help him. Sean was trying to set it up so that Trump could dis the entire thing at the outset. And Trump handled it beautifully, beautifully. But, you know, we all, this is, this kind of rhetoric is setting up a very dangerous path, both for Trump and for the rest of us and for the country. We better pray every day, literally pray for Donald Trump's protection, Elon Musk's protection. None of these people are perfect None of us are perfect, but we better pray for the people who are willing and able to take on the fight and have the political strength, the financial resources in order to push back against these very, very dangerous forces. They're going to paint Trump as a dictator from now until the election, try to scare the crap out of everybody because, again, fear is their most effective weapon, and that's all they have. So we have to stay on top of this, okay? This is a war, and they will use whatever means possible in order to win it. Trump was also asked if he thought Joe Biden was going to uh, make it to the election. Now, remember, I asked him this question when he joined me here on this show, um, I guess it was in June, and he told me and us that he thought Biden might make it, although he was a mess. And when I asked him whether he was prepared for somebody like Mrs. Obama or someone else that the Democrats might run, uh, the president told us that he was prepared for all contingencies if Biden dropped out. Well, this week, he said for the first time with Hannity that he did not think that Biden would make it. I personally don't think he makes it. Okay, I haven't said that. I'm saving it for this big town hall. I've never really. I personally don't think he makes it. I think he's in bad shape physically. I personally don't think he makes it physically. I watched him at the beach. He wasn't able to lift a beach chair, which is meant for children to lift. You can lift it like that. Uh, And mentally, I would say he's possibly equally as bad and maybe worse, but I don't know. I will say this. He's got vicious people surrounding him. So he thinks he might be running against Kamala or Gavin Newsom. I hope he is prepared for all of them. 
including Mrs. Obama, because you never know. Speaking of corrupt Joe, he was asked if he'd be running if Trump weren't running. And he said he wasn't so sure he'd be running if Trump weren't running. And everybody was like, what? Because I guess at this point, they are putting all of their marbles in that basket. Did I mess up that metaphor? Probably. Uh, All their eggs in that basket of Joe Biden, at least at the moment until they figure out what to do. So when he said that in his dementia moment, everybody was like, what? So he tried to clean it up. Listen to Biden. Would you be running for president if Trump wasn't running? I, I expect so. But look, he is running and I just I have to run. Obviously, someone told him that he had to run, so he blurted that out, as dementia patients will often do. They will blurt out the truth, as inappropriate as it is. Joe Biden is a mess. Obviously, he wouldn't be running if he were actually in control over his own destiny, which he is not. He is a puppet, and he has puppeteers. And those puppeteers still may dump him. We shall see. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, I want to just run with this Elise Stefanik and these university presidents who have made uh, complete excuses for the raging anti-Semitism and the calls for the death of Jews and the elimination of the state of Israel on their campuses. This was phenomenal. Every once in a while, you get a good moment from a good Republican on Capitol Hill. I know I spent today already blasting most of the GOP, and they deserve it. But we have to give credit where credit is due, and Elise Stefanik deserves it. We're going to deal with that and the deep moral decay on our university and college campuses when we come back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Okay, welcome back. In a couple of minutes, we're going to be joined by Florida Surgeon General on this new China virus, the flu season, but also even more importantly, transcending fear coming from the government. He's going to join us here in just a moment. First, though, we have to deal with what is going on on our college campuses, which has now spilled over into our streets. And that is, of course, the pro-Hamas terrorist sympathizers who are rioting across the country in support of Hamas, but terrorism more broadly, the death of Jews, the genocide of the Jewish people, and the elimination of the state of Israel. Never did I think that I would ever see this again. Never again was our entire lives, right? After the Holocaust? Well, never again is now. And we have university presidents across the board, but in particular at our most elite universities, some of the finest universities in the world who are condoning this kind of behavior and these attitudes. And what it does is dehumanize Jews. We've been down this road before. In the 1930s, the dehumanizing of Jews, this is what the Hitler Nazi regime did, the cartoon, the caricatures of Jews, um, uh, exaggerating their features, 
portraying them as vermin. It's all about dehumanizing them because once you do that, it's easy to imprison them and ultimately eliminate them. If you don't consider them a fellow human being, you're perfectly justified then, rationalized in killing and destroying the, the entire race of Jews. So we have been down this road before. It wasn't like it was new, like it was in the 1930s. We have the lesson of history. And yet, our most elite institutions do not care. And in fact, worse, promoting this. Not just simply allowing it to happen, promoting it. This points to the absolute moral decay in our university and college system. This has been going on forever. We know this as conservatives. You can't set foot on a campus. You are uh, heckled, uh, canceled, uh, barred from speaking. So all of these universities will bar a conservative like me from coming on campus to talk about America first, but then they will defend the First Amendment and the right to free speech when it comes to Hamas terrorist sympathizers. Oh, they're only out there uh, exercising their First Amendment rights. But as conservatives, we cannot do that. So this week, uh, Congresswoman Virginia Fox, who chairs the House Committee on Education and the Workforce, good for her for calling this hearing, She summoned three university leaders from Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania to sit in front of this committee and answer questions about the rise in violent anti-Semitic protests on their campus since Hamas attacked Israel, killing over 1,200 people. Each of these university presidents, all radical leftist women, by the way, would not call out the anti-Semitic demonstrations. Good for Lee Stefanik. She is a congresswoman from New York, um, and she is in the leadership in the GOP, one of the, the actual good ones. She uh, asked if the calling for the genocide of Jews on their campuses violates their code of conduct or rules regarding bullying or harassment. Now, you know all of these universities are hotbeds of radicalism, radical activity. So they have codes of conduct against bullying or harassment. And Stefanik asked each one of them uh, whether these calls for the genocide of, of Jews violated any of these rules. Their responses were all exactly the same. So they all coordinated their answers before they went in that room. Each of them refused to answer the very simple yes or no question. And each had condescending smirks on their faces while responding. Total lack of respect for the U.S. Congress, lack of respect for the line of questioning. Okay, so I want to roll the entire clip because it was beyond belief. And because Congresswoman Stefanik was a total boss. Listen, does M- at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? 
That would be um, investigated of, as harassment if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment, yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the, yes speech or becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm gonna give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when and it crosses into conduct. And is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. So the answer is yes that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. Okay, so Dr. Gay, the president of Harvard, says it all depends on context. Well, did context matter to her when it came to George Floyd? Here's what she wrote at the time about the black community, quote, even as the global fight against the pandemic has forged new bonds and inspired acts of profound generosity, we are again confronted by old hatreds and the enduring legacies of anti-black racism and inequality. It's a familiarity that makes me deeply restless for change. Part of that change is the work we do here to learn and listen across lines of difference and to build a community grounded in trust and respect. She talks about trust, respect, and equality, but what about the same for the Jewish students on her college campus? Jewish students are terrified every day and in some cases sent into literal hiding as these riots have gone on, as their fellow students call for the death of Jews. 
from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, and chant intifada. Good for Stefanik for saying that their answers were dehumanizing the Jewish students. That dehumanization is a critical part of anti-Semitism and a very dangerous part. These students look to university presidents, faculty, administrators, not only for opportunity through education, but they place their trust in them for protection while they are there. Maybe the reason that the presidents of these universities refuse to answer a very simple yes to this very simple moral question is because since 9-11, Qatar, in addition to other foreign authoritarian regimes who have donated huge amounts of money to our universities, like the Chinese Communist Party, Qatar has become the largest foreign donor to American academia. They do this like the Chinese do this, and the Saudis do it too. But Qatar right now is number one. They do this to influence U.S. policy and education, to indoctrinate these kids into this kind of anti-Semitic radicalism. Harvard got $894 million, and MIT got $859 million. Nearly a billion dollars each from Qatar. So money talks. You don't pay that amount of money if you don't expect anything in return. Money talks. Speaking of money, here is Stefanik again asking Dr. Gay of Harvard about the massive amount of money coming to Harvard's Middle East Studies program. Harvard receives funding from foreign entities and governments which support its Middle East Studies department, correct? We receive funding from a variety of sources because we have alumni from all over the world. But that is correct, right? The Middle Eastern Studies Department? We receive funding from it's various sources. It's a yes sources. or no. Are you not aware where the Middle Eastern Studies Department receives funding? We receive funding from various sources. I am asking sources. you a yes or no question. You are under oath in front of the United States Congress. You are giving lip service provided your attorneys. It's a yes or no question. Harvard receives funding from foreign entities and governments which support its Middle Eastern Studies Department, correct? We have alumni all over the world, and we benefit so the from, their, correct. from their yes. philanthropy. Yes, the answer is correct. We receive support from and our alumni a, from all over the and world, that support, from individuals. And what amount of support is that reported to the federal government? I'd have to actually look at our filings. You I, don't know? As the president of the university, you don't know? Not that particular number. It's no, $1.5 billion over the past three years. Are you aware of that? I don't know if that is the correct number, but that's the number you've shared. Has Harvard reported all Regular of order. the federal... Oh, my time. So the president of Harvard is, at the very least, sympathetic to anti-Semitism and apparently has no idea what's going on at her own school. Supposedly the smartest school in the world. She is no dummy, guys. She knows. She knows. She just wants the money, and she, like all the others, will take it over any sense of decency and humanity and morality. These kinds of hearings, mm, 
You know, I I wish the Republicans would do more, but I'm glad that they're holding these hearings because they offer a lot of clarity, right? It's good to know where these university presidents stand. The president of Penn, Ms. McGill, put out a video yesterday trying to clean up her mess, but still it was all caveated. She never really apologized. These people all came out of the same swamp of communist radicalism. And yes, anti-Semitism. So these university presidents are just as bad as the students who are out there protesting. They're all the same. They've all come out of the same bog of radicalism, communism, activism, anti-Semitism. It is all disgusting. This is where you're sending your kids. You can send your kid with a full slate of conservative and faith-based values. And the second they get into one of these universities, man, they, the indoctrination really ramps up. They have to be very, very strong, and you have to stay on top of them. All right, when we come back, we're going to switch gears and talk um, about transcending fear, which is a very important part of this conversation, plus the latest on the new China virus, the flu season, the mRNA shots, and more with Florida's Attorney General. We'll be right back. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, guys, given that it's flu season and that COVID is never going away and that there's another virus now here, courtesy of China, who better to turn to than one of our all-time favorite doctors who actually applies the actual science and common sense to our public health issues. Dr. Joseph Latipo is the Surgeon General of the great state of Florida, and he is the author of the new book, transcend fear. And as I said to him before we came to air, this book and its message is literally the most important message that you can absorb. We have so much coming at us all day, every day, but almost all of it is grounded in the government creating fear in you to keep you compliant, to keep you jumping, to keep you subservient. So the good doctor's book, Transcend Fear, yes, it talks about public health issues in this context, but the overall message is one that we all need to hear and absorb. He's joined us before to talk about COVID and the mRNA shots, and we're going to talk to him about that today as well. But he's really back today to talk about what we're facing now. Dr. Latipo, great to have you here once again. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Monica. Oh, it's my pleasure. You are just, you're, you're wonderful in every way and a voice that we should all be listening to. So I'm happy to have you here. Um, we do have a lot to get to, but let's start with this latest virus coming from China. It's already here. We're seeing it in a number of states. What do we know about this? We don't know 
A whole lot. And that's not a surprise considering where the cases are happening. China is not a model for transparency. <laughs> I mean, he yes, makes, that's an understatement. China make, yeah, China makes our government look you know, amazing in terms of transparency, probably makes just about every government look amazing in terms of transparency. But what has been reported is that, which really should be taken with a grain of salt, just like any information coming out of China in terms of policy, is that the the cases seem to be related to mycoplasma pneumonia. It's often called walking pneumonia in this country, and it's not clear why they are having so many cases. People have hypothesized that it's related to lockdowns they've had, and maybe it is, but who knows really is the truth. Supposedly, none of the cases are related to any new viruses, uh, any new laboratory-grown infections. So, but time will tell. You know, a lot of people, a lot of doctors are saying, yes, we have seen this before. It's a respiratory virus. And, you know, it's not a novel coronavirus, something that we haven't seen before, like was the case with uh, SARS-CoV-2. So, you know, there, there's not the kind of widespread panic, at least not yet, because, again, we've seen this. Th this virus, is it infecting mostly children? What effect on them? And how does it impact adults? Well, in China, it seems to be more concentrated in children. And that's been what the reports have been showing. Mycoplasma pneumonia in this country, as I mentioned, it's something that we often call walking pneumonia. It's very common, very common for people to have it. Oftentimes, people are not even treated for it because their symptoms are so mild and then eventually their bodies clear it. Usually, it's not a severe pneumonia. Usually, it's a mild or moderate pneumonia. Usually, people are not hospitalized for it, which, again, it makes what's happening in China not quite make sense and leaves me very doubtful and, and open to the possibility that we're not getting the full truth from them. In this country, we haven't seen any major evidence in any of the states, to the best of my knowledge, of any new outbreaks that are atypical for this time of year. It's really not morbid. It's it's something that is, it's usually a mild illness. Okay. Well, that's the good news. <laughs> that is the good news. Um, are we now in this new reality, doctor, in which crazy viruses are going to pop up in China, whether there's something that we have seen before or something that they have tinkered with, and now the rest of the world is going to be infected every time one kind of escapes and, and starts to go wild in China? <laughs> That's a great question. I think that the possibility for that does exist because of just how internationally connected we are as a world now. You know, I, there are people who are here in the state of Florida who yesterday were probably in China. And there are people who are here today that tomorrow will be in China and in other parts of the world and parts of Africa and parts of Europe and parts of other parts of Asia. So the, the fact that we're such an interconnected world means that viruses, the spread of these types of things is going to be a reality. The question of of laboratories that are working on viruses and this gain-of-function research, I mean, it's a very real thing. It's documented. I mean, there's plenty of evidence that many laboratories around the country have participated in, in it, even laboratories in this country. 
and it's presents unique risk. You know, the I mean, I guess only God knows, and the people in Wuhan and that lab know what the real truth is. I very, I, I just can't imagine how SARS-CoV-2 did not come out of a lab. Everything I've seen, the the attempts to direct the American people in a different direction by Dr. Fauci and his colleagues early in the pandemic. It, it just, it's this, the evidence is, is reasonably strong that it came from a lab. And then when you look at all the politics around it and all the terrible stuff we've seen during the pandemic, I'm, I personally do believe that it came from a lab and that risk with these labs that are doing gain of function research is a real thing. And it would be great if we had leaders that took it more seriously. You're a medical doctor and a scientist. So of course you have to be very precise. I am a political commentator, so I don't need to be that precise. This was absolutely cooked up in a lab. Uh, and, you know, it, it appears to me, and I don't know if you agree with this assessment, but this is, a, this is biological warfare, okay? So people who are running around saying, oh, you know, we'll never face biological warfare. What do you think COVID was? Or when they say we'll never face chemical warfare, what do you think the fentanyl assault from China is all about? We are mm -hmm. under direct assault from the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and COVID was a part of it and a very serious part. We've got an administration now that will not confront Xi Jinping and the CCP about COVID, its origins, its launching, whether it was an accident or a deliberate release of this virus. The timing is very suspect, the whole thing. And that's why I wanted to ask you about this latest virus, which doesn't seem as virulent as COVID or as deadly and certainly not as unknown. But it seems to me that they are working on this stuff around the clock and, and weaponizing it to keep people off balance and, and in many cases kill them, but certainly to terrorize the West and really the rest of the world. And so we really have to stay on top of this. Um, speaking of viruses, let's deal with two. Let's deal with uh, SARS-CoV-2. COVID is now endemic, so it's floating around. I know a couple of people who have had it, you know, in the last like two months or so. What does the COVID season look like? And then we'll deal with the flu season. Yeah, well, the COVID uh, is definitely endemic, as you said, and here in Florida, for example, we are pretty stable, maybe uh, even decreasing a little bit in terms of in terms of cases in the Midwest. The reports I've seen show that they may be on an upswing in terms of cases. And there's some discussion about whether the cases are going to be increasing over the holidays. Now, it would be great if people were just interested in that for the sake of epidemiology, but of course, the interest in the holiday season and COVID cases is all about these new shots and whatever strategy that you know Dr. Cohen at the CDC and Dr. Califf at the FDA uh, can can leverage to get more people to take these terrible, unsafe, unproven shots. So it looks like we're gonna probably see some some increases in the next in the next several weeks of COVID, I would be shocked if it comes anything near in the severity to what we saw during Omicron. I, I think 
chances are those days are mostly behind us in terms of the intensity of the spread and the fact that people were having a lot of symptoms. I think that we're we're also at a point where, you know, fortunately, I mean, everyone, probably just about every living being has seen this virus. So there's so little, there was so little evidence already for these, for these mRNA COVID-19 shots. They're clearly very unpopular. Um, frankly, I'm just, I'm saddened that up to 15% of people, it was, I was happier when only five or 6% of Americans had taken them. Um, now I think it's up to 15%, which is very unfortunate. And it's very unfortunate because they're bad they're bad science. They're bad shots, and they are not proven. And people should not be persuaded or cajoled into taking products that are not proven. As the Surgeon General of Florida, what are you seeing in terms of uh, reactions over time now? Because these shots have been out since what the the early spring of 2021. What are you seeing in terms of mRNA shot injuries, a lot of cardiac events, turbo cancers, all of the things that we're reading about? Are you seeing that? Right. So so I want to say that we are looking for those things. And I, I say that because it's certainly we've seen excess mortality all over this country and all over the world. And what that means for people who don't know is that there are predictable patterns of the number of people who die. And ever since the pandemic started, and really more so in 2021, we've seen excess mortality, which is to say the predictions are lower than the actual number of people who are dying. And it's the kind of thing that, say, we one would see during the Spanish influenza because so many people unfortunately died as a result of that, that pandemic. Or you might see during a war because of the number of people who might die because of all the terrible trauma and other terrible things that happen. So oh, this excess mortality is something we've seen. It's lower in Florida, for example, than it is in California, where more people um, had the, the bad lockdowns and more people took these shots. But we're seeing excess mortality. And because so many people, unfortunately, took these shots, it's hard to tease out exactly what the cause is. Mm -hmm. I personally believe that it is related to these mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, along with the increase in other things like POTS, which is a postural uh, tachycardia syndrome that, you know, pure people will have chest pain and, and, and lightheadedness and things like that. Um, and a number of other cardiovascular conditions, you know, thromboembolic conditions like strokes. I personally do think that some of that is related. The data support that claim also. We are working to better understand whether, in fact, we can, with research, correlate it. So I can't say anything de definitive yet scientifically, uh, but my impression from at least other studies that have been done is that we have excess mortality and excess morbidity, too, because of these terrible mRNA, mRNA shots. One of the big correlating points, uh, isn't it, that that 
the excess deaths, which are deaths above the normal baseline of deaths, because every year people die of a lot of things, car accidents, cancer, heart attacks, you name it. But the excess deaths above and beyond the normal baseline really began in 2021. So that correlates with the rollout of the shots, correct? Yeah, yeah, I believe that's correct. I think maybe there was a tiny bit of excess mortality in 2020. I'm not even sure if there was, but definitely in 2021, 2022. And from what I've seen, also including 2023, we've seen excess mortality. And it's not normal, rarely gets attention in mainstream media. Um, but um, yeah, totally not normal. The media is absolutely covering for Big Pharma and for Fauci and Burks and the government officials who pushed these shots claim that they were safe and effective. That's all that 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 is water under the bridge, but it's also still happening. The problem is that because we were under this three year long propaganda assault on all of this with all of these lies, so many people, doctor, have become so brainwashed. They've really, they internalized the fear. And I want to get to that uh, with you as well, because that's the subject of your book. They internalized the fear and then they internalized the lies. So to this very day, they've been brainwashed. I was at a doctor's office this week and one of the aides, she's probably like, if I were to guess, mid 60s. And I hadn't seen her for a while. And I said, oh, how are you doing? And she said, oh, well, I'm just grateful to be alive. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, two weeks ago, I had a massive blockage. I had a blood clot in my heart. I said, you had a heart attack? And she said, well, yeah. And I, it was a massive blood clot. And uh, I, she was walking me through this. And I said, well, I'm so glad that you're okay. And then I kind of leaned into her and I said, how many mRNA shots did you have? And she looked at me and said, seven, seven, doctor, okay? And I, I almost fell over and I said, seven? I said, you do know that there's a lot of evidence about cardiac events related to this mRNA shots. And she immediately went to shut me down. And she did it very politely, but she's like, oh, no, 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 this blockage has nothing to do with that. So now she has no idea what she's talking about, and maybe I don't either, but I know what I'm reading about cardiac issues, myocarditis, pericarditis, uh, people having heart attacks, strokes, emboli, people dying of this, people passing out, all kinds of things related to the spike protein and the heart and the circulatory system. So, uh, you know, we... we we need a lot more data on this, but I think so many people are in denial and they probably have cognitive dissonance too, right? Because if okay. you're somebody like her who has put seven, seven. of these experimental <laughs> shots in her arm, you don't want to hear that it could kill you, right? No. Right. I totally, totally, Monica, you get, you're hitting the nail on the, on the head. It's, yeah, it is, it's totally the case. And there, there really is a lot of evidence it's just uh, in terms of publications and very good journals. In Florida, we did an analysis and found uniquely a signal for increased cardiac death in in young men. Um, there's a lot. There are many published studies that have shown this uh, a, a, an association between these vaccines and adverse cardiovascular events. And unfortunately, you know, just just like you're saying, this this there's just this cabal really between the CDC, FDA, Pfizer, Moderna, pharma in general, and the media, where 
if you know if if tomorrow those parties woke up and decided that hey we are going to report honestly about what's known what's unknown what's suspected you know we're, we're going to have people who believe they've been injured by these vaccines we're going to have loved ones of people who believe they've died because of the vaccines the the narrative and the picture would look completely different and frankly it would be more balanced because you know for now you we only get the quote unquote good news so that's you're you you're totally correct we live in this in a time where where full information isn't being provided to that woman who was in the doctor's office and people are invested they've got it all mixed in with their identity and so well i took it and so it has to be safe because otherwise what does that mean about my ability to make good decisions you know mm-hmm. so people get all t- all caught up in that and it's understandable but it can't stop people from from pursuing truth and it's critical it's critical that it happens it's a huge injustice to humankind uh, all the things that have happened over the past few years yeah i totally agree i think this is one of the biggest crimes against humanity in the history of the world um let's talk about another virus the flu which is also endemic and you know runs wild every winter season how is the flu season looking this year and any advice to people listening about how to navigate that yeah well yeah so the flu we typically have a lot more cases this time of year and that's totally normal and flu is behaving that way we have uh you know obviously there are flu vaccines but there's a lot less distrust in them i mean in general you know there's some randomized clinical trial data that shows that um at least in some high risk populations like people with um with heart disease they can be protective overall when you look outside of people who um when you're looking at people who don't have a lot of chronic illnesses the evidence actually is not all that great um in terms of a health benefit from the influenza vaccines um so it's it's um you know it's it's you, you take all that and then you add the fact that we've had so much propaganda and dishonesty over the last few years you know, more people are taking them than are taking these COVID-19 vaccines, but, you know, it's hard to be pushing them right now with, even if you think that they're going to help the patient because of just this complete circus that we've seen, right? You know, like 12 mice make antibodies. Okay. That means you should take it. I mean, give me a break. So, um, so, you know, we're, we're seeing cases, um, fortunately there's treatment for people who do have, there's medical treatment for people who um, who do have influenza. And then there are things we can do to prevent severe illness. And we talk a lot about that. I mean, I talk a lot about that um, in my platform, in my in my day job. And um, and I think, frankly, that's the most important path to good health. Yeah, you know, there there seem to be two big groups of people in America. One group will put any kind of shot in their system at all. If a doctor in a white coat says, go do this, <laughs> they will run for it. And now you've got another big group of skeptics after being lied to for three years about COVID and these mRNA shots. So, you know, the, the flu shots um, are not mRNA. They're not experimental. They're more traditional kinds of vaccines. So I think people rely more on those shots than the COVID-19 shots. But I think the general skepticism 
about anything the government, the, the public health officials is telling you, I think that skepticism has really climbed. And it's really unfortunate because if you can't listen to the government doctors, especially in the midst of a crisis, where are you, right? You totally, totally. And they just, they squandered, so many of our public health officials squandered their credibility. I mean, they squandered it, right? The lockdowns, that's what you should do. Of course, that's not what you should do. It's terrible for your health. The isolation is terrible for your heart, for your brain, uh, uh, you know, for your spirit, for your soul. It's terrible. Um, the, the masking of the kids, the keeping them out of school for months and months and months and months, you know, the testing and the pushing of the vaccines and low-risk people. I mean, it, they spent it like it was a credit card they didn't have to repay back, you know, and now we've got the consequences to to live with. And I totally, you're absolutely correct. And I think these effects are actually going to be permanent. And I actually think it's going to be worse because eventually I do believe that we will get to a point where there is wider recognition of the harms that have been caused by the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. And I think the bottom is going to fall out in terms of trust. I think it's going to actually get much worse. So this brings us to the subject of your book, which is so important. And that subject is fear. Your book is called Transcend Fear. Fear is government's most effective weapon. It uses it, it sometimes precisely, sometimes not so much. But the government certainly used fear during COVID to gain compliance on lockdowns, the shots, masks, social distancing, school closures, all for power and control. Had nothing to do with the virus at all. It was only and always about power and control. How do you counter this kind of government-driven fear in people, especially if it involves a crisis involving health? Yeah, that that it really is the is a major theme in my book. I personally had to go through that experience of getting through um, and really shedding my fear. And frankly, you know, I, I, we're going to move into a, sort of a more uh, almost uh, squishier, softer um, area now rather than the hard sciences. I personally worked with a guy who helped me shed my fear by helping me literally get it out of my tissues, out of my muscles, out of my body. And I worked with a guy, he used Chinese medicine, teachings from Chinese medicine. And a lot of that stuff relates to things like meridians and energy and chi, which flows through all of us. And chi is life force. And it's this sort of magical energy, if you will, that flows through all of us that, you know, is part of what makes each one of us unique beings of God. And and I worked with him, um, you know, it, it involved a lot of physical stuff, um, a lot initially painful uh, physically in terms of um, different types of stretches and manipulations physically to get uh, stress and tension and trauma out of my body. And that was the path that I took. I think that it's Im really important for people to take some path to help shed their stress, shed their trauma, shed pardon me, shed their tension, because all of those things are what make us manipulable. All of those things are what make us sub subject to fear and open to the effects of fear. And it's a, it's a burden of being human. I mean, that's, it's really something that everyone carries around. 
And so, and I, I talk about my own personal journey that my wife um, helped direct me to and, you know, in my personal journey to freedom. And, um, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's really the most important thing and that I can contribute, frankly, to, to the world. It's such an important message as well. We talked about these brainwashed people during COVID where they just succumb to the messages of fear coming from the government uh, and their neighbors and the media and everybody else around them. How do you deprogram them? Is it possible to, to do that and to get them to see it was all about power and control? You know, it's it's so it's such an interesting question. So I definitely want that for everyone. I want people to be able to identify when they've been manipulated. I want people to have that opportunity to learn for themselves. But I personally think that the best way to lead is by example, and then people get to make a choice, you know, and we've had people, you've seen people I know in your own life who've gone from being probably big you know, believers of Dr. Fauci to like, honestly, confessing that they were misled and, and, and they were taken advantage of and feeling badly about that. And that's, that's actually a healing process. You know, on the other hand, you've got people who in there at some level, conscious or subconsciously, they get that they've been misled. You know, they get that they were, uh, cajoled or or manipulated or forced or mandated, quote unquote mandated, right? Which really is is giving giving in and giving up, uh, which I say without judgment because I know you know people are worried about putting food on the table and things like that. But you know you have people who at some level know that but don't want to face that reality, and if you don't face it, you can't grow. So. I think everyone gets to make a choice. And my hope, of course, is that people make a cho make the choice that leads to greater personal growth. And because that's the only path to not having it happen again for them. But I think it's just everyone's choice. And I, I really hope people make the choice that that leaves them better off. Do you expect another mass public health emergency in the near future? And if so, what do you think it looks like? I mean, I, I do in the sense that um, in the sense that the forces behind what happened in COVID are they're restless. You know, they lost finally. Right. They had a tight grip. They were holding on. But fortunately, the human spirit prevailed and they ended up losing. Their grip got looser and looser. People got more and more impatient with the lockdowns, uh, less and less. Um, less and less amenable to going on with the going along with these mandates and these stupid face masks, and they lost. But they're not done. You know, we haven't routed them out. So I totally do believe that we will see more. Whether it will actually be of substance or not um, remains to be seen. So much of this stuff is information wars. It's just it's it's sort of hyping stuff up to kind of get people riled up and thinking that they need to take this or that action. Uh, but um, but I, yeah, I, I do think we'll see more attempts to get people really caught up in a fear narrative. And I think, you know, well, I, 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 I'm curious to see what God has planned. So, you know, I certainly pray we don't have anything really serious again, at least no time soon. If we do, doctor, how do we get ahead of another mass disinformation and fear campaign coming from the government? I mean, you are on the front lines in Florida, so we could always look to you for the truth. And we know that we can trust you. 
But if there is another crisis, say next year, time to the next presidential election, um, you know, we've been told our whole lives to trust our public health officials. Now we know that we cannot do that. So how do we get ahead of this if and when something like this were to happen again? Honestly, I, I really do think, Monica, that you, that um, that people need to go with uh, individuals that they trust and organizations that they trust. Uh, you, met, you said it here in Florida. We'll always give it to you straight. You know, Governor DeSantis, fortunately, he's very uh, supportive of really tr- of transparency and of of you know, honest governance, and we'll give it to you straight here. And there are other people too, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Harvey Reich. I mean, guys who have um, integrity and will tell you the truth about what they believe and are not viable, right? They can't be bought. They can't be intimidated into into saying things. Um, they can't be seduced into saying things. And you can't say that for Unfortunately, for most doctors, right? I mean, you saw during the pandemic, you, know, you almost could get the get the got the sense that some of these guys, um, like you know, Dr. Eric Topol, um, really got excited when things got worse, right? They have some personal gain in that, and you know, they like the attention, they like the uh, the feeling of command and telling people what to do and not do and that kind of thing. Um, and really, I'm, I'm actually being a little hard on him because he wasn't he wasn't so bad with that. There were actually a lot of other people that were that were much worse with that. Really got drunk with the attention and the interviews and all that. And you know, those are people who can be seduced, right? Being seduced in that case by a feeling of of attention and importance and things like that. And those people will always lead you down a a a, a you know, a paved path to hell. I mean, those people will never take you to um, to a place that's better. Whereas truth and honesty and integrity and transparency will take all of us to a path that's better. And, you know, I, I do think that we're going to have more of that the next time we have an emergency, just because um, some more people have learned from what happened this past time. Well, we certainly hope that if, God forbid, we were to face something like COVID again or even worse, we will certainly know who to listen to, and that is trustworthy voices like yours, public health officials who built credibility, not destroy credibility during COVID and beyond. And you, again, are certainly one of those voices. So we thank you so much for that and for being here again today. You are always welcome on this show. Thanks so much, Monica. Thank you for having me on. Okay, guys, thank you so much for being with me for another fantastic show. And thank you for checking out our great sponsors. We all really appreciate that. Have a very good end to your week. And I will see you right back here next week with more phenomenal shows on the Monica Crowley podcast. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Bayhockle Entertainment, LLC. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.